You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. Later in the program, we have Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impacts residents of Monroe County. Today, we are looking into Indiana's power grid. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the reality of artificial intelligence on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. You're listening to Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into Indiana's power grid, how it works, how it's outdated, and renewable alternatives the state could explore to transition into more sustainable forms of energy. From outdated equipment, an energy storage problem, and the impacts of climate change, Indiana's power grid faces a crisis. WFHB and Limestone Post interviewed experts, advocates, and government officials on how the Indiana power grid works and how the state will grapple with an ongoing energy transition. In today's edition of Deep Dive, we will explore the basics of the power grid, renewable alternatives, and what the future holds for Indiana's energy grid. Dr. Robert Weisbach is the chair of the Department of Engineering Technology at IUPUI. His areas of expertise include renewable energy and energy storage. Dr. Weisbach elaborated on how Indiana's power grid works. So the power grid typically works by having energy sources, which could be created through either from nuclear fission or through natural gas-fired plants or coal-fired plants or maybe renewable sources generate the electricity. The voltage that's generated, um, which is kind of a pressure that pushes the electricity through the lines, is typically made a lot higher by use of transformers. And that higher voltage allows it to be transmitted long distances with fewer losses because engineers are always dealing with efficiency. We want to maintain high efficiency in whatever we do. And then those high voltages, when you get towards loads uh, like cities or towns, um, those voltages are then reduced in a certain number of steps uh, for distribution to 
eventually to homes and businesses. Peter Schubert, a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Indiana University, said the physical components of the power grid are becoming antiquated. So the grid is considered to be the most complex machine ever created by mankind. Many of the physical assets are old because uh, the development of the grid started in the started developed hard in the 50s, and then by the 70s was mostly built out. So some of these legacy systems have been around for 30, 40 years and may be approaching their, the end of their expected lifetime. So uh, with normal wear and tear, those things have to be replaced. That's relatively easy to predict. But there's two other factors that are really becoming important more recently. One is that people want smarter grids. As more consumers or businesses are generating their own electric power with like on-site solar, when they sell back into the grid, this provides another point that needs to be balanced and considered in the grid balancing. So that makes things more complex. So we may need smarter grids that have more sophisticated controls and sensors. And those things, of course, cost money and take manpower. And, it, and, and you have to go and do that. That's the engineers to design it, implement it, make sure that it works, test it, manage things in the case of, of blackouts and stuff. So that's a smart grid. There's a lot of money coming from the federal government to make that happen. Because a lot of the existing grid infrastructure is old, they, there are points of electronic vulnerability that could be exploited by bad actors. Um, and that's the that's cyber part of it. The physical part of it is that, as we saw last summer, where some yahoos or uh, extremist groups would shoot rifles into substations and the transformers there, that kind of destruction of those transformers, because they you, you don't buy them every year. You buy them every you know half a century. If enough of those things get disrupted, there's no inventory. And it could take not hours or days to restore power, but it could take months or, or years in some cases if there's a substantial coordinated attack on our electric grid. So all those argue for a smarter grid and a more distributed or decentralized um, grid architecture. Schubert outlined that Indiana has an energy storage problem. In order to transition to renewable energy sources, he said the state would need to invest in large-scale energy storage. One big need is energy storage. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this balancing act between generation and consumption is moment by moment, and as time goes on, that will become more complicated. One thing that makes it less complicated and more resilient, more reliable, which reliability is really important for Indiana because we're a very manufacturing-heavy state, and uh, when you've got a factory, if you lose power, you could lose product. So a really important factor in making the grid more resilient, more reliable, would be large-scale energy storage. So uh, when people think of energy storage, the first thing you think of is a battery. Batteries are, on a, per unit of energy, they're fantastically expensive. They're convenient. They're easy to install. Those are big pluses, but they're super expensive. Still, we've got uh, MISO and other um, ISOs across the country 
installing large amounts of lithium ion batteries on the grid um, to provide storage in case of blackouts, to take care of the non-dispatchability of wind and solar, and then also provide other grid services like, uh, you know, regulating the, the fine controls of this, of this balancing act. So energy storage is a really big need, and we also need it to be much less expensive. Kerwin Olson is the executive director for the Citizens Action Coalition, or the CAC, an environmental advocacy organization. The CAC advocates for more equitable energy policy, utility reform, and pollution prevention. Olson agreed that aspects of the state's power grid are out of fashion, relying on fossil fuels and a, quote, old business model, end quote. He said Indiana should invest into renewable energy, wind, solar, and green carbon, all the while maintaining reliability. Indiana's system is effectively designed based on the old Thomas Edison Pearl Street Station model, if you will, of 100 plus years ago of having a central baseload power plant that delivers electricity across many, many miles uh, to the end user. So we would consider our system to be uh, outdated in the context of it serving the old business model of baseload power. What we need is to build and design and upgrade our grid to serve uh, what the grid of the future is, and that is microgrids, small distributed energy resources like solar panels on roofs, uh, et cetera, um, that are, that's at the distribution level closer to the end user. That's where uh, the electricity markets and technologies are moving. We're moving away from the idea of large baseload central power plants to a much smaller distributed network, if you will, that's, that's, uh, that's full of uh, energy efficiency, conservation, um, and, uh, and demand uh, distributed energy resources, again, like solar panels, like wind turbines, storage and batteries, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's not to say that we don't need both. CAC believes we, we strongly need to have a grid that serves the energy of the future, if you will, but we also um, need to ensure that we have the necessary transmission infrastructure in place to ensure reliability and also ensure that most notably large industrial users of energy who consume massive, massive quantities of electricity have access uh, to renewable energy on the grid, most notably a lot of that low-powered and cheap uh, wind coming out of Minnesota, uh, the Dakotas, the Nebraska, Iowa, that right now can't make it to Indiana because we don't have the necessary transmission infrastructure in place. So we should absolutely be investing at both levels. With respect to transmission, that investment should be designed uh, to increase penetration of renewable resources from a regional perspective. And then from the distribution level, we should be having a grid that serves customers' needs with electricity flow in both directions, serving customers to uh, that generate their own energy uh, to increase uh, reliability, efficiency, and uh, resiliency of the grid. Olson elaborated on renewable energy as an alternative to the fossil fuel reliance currently embedded into the power grid system. He highlighted the benefit of wind and solar energy, but also the prospects of renewable hydrogen. Well, I think, you know, all signs are pointing right now to wind and solar and storage being the off-the-shelf technologies available today that CAC is most interested in. But we're also having a very, very robust conversation nationally and internationally as well about hydrogen and the role that hydrogen may or may not play uh, in the, you know, energy grid 
of the future, if you will. And CAC is interested and supportive of the idea of green hydrogen, that is hydrogen made from renewable energy, but we're not interested uh, in brown or gray or other colors of hydrogen where that hydrogen is, is coming from either uh, you know, fossil fuels or nuclear power. That would be dirty hydrogen, if you will. So uh, at the moment, you know, what, 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 is, what is available off the shelf is you know, solar, wind, uh, efficiency, and, and storage. And what we're looking towards uh, in the future is certainly green hydrogen and the role that that may or may not play as far as decarbonization and electrification go. CAC, anyway, has very, very little interest uh, in the continuation of uh, thermal electricity, whether that electricity comes from fossil fuels uh, or uranium with the case of nuclear reactors. Those are all expensive, dirty, dangerous, and environmentally destructive ways in which to generate electricity. And so we, we prefer truly renewable and sustainable options, starting with conservation and efficiency first, and then solar and wind second. Hydrogen storage is one potential solution that Peter Schubert sees as a viable option in the long-term future. At IU, he's researching hydrogen storage using porous silicone, which he says would be cheaper than lithium-ion batteries. Hydrogen is super popular in the EU. Uh, Hydrogen is super popular in Japan. Hydrogen is super popular in the Middle East. In the United States, people like Ho-Hum, we love batteries. But hydrogen has the potential to be significantly less expensive than than using batteries, um, and it pairs hydrogen storage with a fuel cell. So it's a little more complicated, and it's not as efficient, but again, it can be much cheaper than lithium-ion batteries. So at the Luger Center, we're working on two aspects of this. One is the production of green hydrogen from biomass, like crop wastes, that are abundant in Indiana. We can make very cheap hydrogen. And the second part is that we can store that using porous silicon, that's S-I-C-I-L-O-N. There's no E at the end, that's a different product. Silicon is the same thing that solar panels are made from. So with porous silicon, we can make low cost hydrogen storage that can scale up to be useful on the utility grid. So this is still a couple of years away, but this is a pathway by which with PSHOM and with hydrogen storage in porous silicon, we can make um, new low-cost methods of energy storage to make the grid more resilient, more reliable, and allow a greater penetration of wind and solar for our sources of electricity. You're listening to Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. Over the next few weeks, we are looking into Indiana's power grid. Deep Dive airs each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on the WFHB Local News. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, Indiana is the eighth largest producer of coal overall. As of last year, Indiana had 34 coal-fueled power plants, the highest number in the United States. 
Olson said Indiana devotes less than 10% of its energy usage into renewable energy sources. He noted that the state is starting to phase out coal. However, the challenge is how to replace it. Well, if you look at the grid collectively at the moment, uh, Indiana is you know, primarily served by fossil fuels, whether that's coal or whether that's gas. You know, we're 10 to 12 percent served by the nuclear power plant in Michigan, owned by Indiana Michigan Power. And we're about 10 percent renewables when you combine uh, wind, solar and, and hydro and storage. So we're still less than 10 percent renewables and still you know, 90 percent reliant on traditional uh, forms, forms of energy. That said, um, you know, if you look at the plans of the Indiana utilities, we will effectively have four of our five large Indiana utilities be coal-free uh, by 2028, uh, with Duke Energy claiming they'll be coal-free by the mid-2030s. So we are seeing a rapid, rapid uh, retirement of all the coal-fired power plants uh, in Indiana. Uh, but the question is, what are we going to replace them with? And that's that's where the challenge is, because utilities are currently planning to replace them other than NIPSCO. NIPSCO is going almost exclusively um, renewable, but utilities are replacing those coal plants with a mixture of wind, solar, and uh, you know fossil gas plants. And what we'd like to see is you know a commitment to, at the moment anyway, um, you know the addition of substantial amounts of, of wind and solar, uh, and we do not want to see uh, the construction of, of, of new gas plants in Indiana as uh, that will do little to solve the uh, you know existential crisis that is climate change. We need to be moving away from fossil fuels in their entirety. So on the good side, we're shutting down coal plants and we'll have very, very little coal in Indiana in the coming years. On the flip side of that is what are we going to replace it with? And it's, it's certainly CAC's hope and we certainly will be advocating uh, for replacing those coal plants with the 100% renewable energy. Olson discussed how climate change and extreme weather impact the state's power grid. He called for a more resilient grid as climate change begins to disrupt the energy system. I mean, not only are we seeing severe weather patterns that is causing significant damage uh, either to the grid or the pipeline system or to power plants, so we need to invest in a grid that is far more reliable and far more resilient to these interruptions caused by climate change, these severe uh, severe weather events, but we've also seen severe weather events impact, you know, the supplies of fossil fuels, coal and gas, freezing pipelines, freezing power plants and things. So what we've seen is is climate change is, is a significant disruptive force that that is requiring, you know, significant investments and upgrades to our generation resources uh, and our grid. And, and these disruptions also cost people time, uh, cost people money and disrupt their way of life and, and is a real concern with respect to health and safety and uh, and uh, even can cost lives uh, in certain events when, when homes and, and businesses uh, lose access to energy. So climate change is here. It's real. It's disrupting our energy supply today. It's disrupting prices today. And what we need to do is that should absolutely be a top consideration um, whenever uh, the Indiana State, uh, you know, State General Assembly or the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission uh, is making decisions about spending tons of uh, public money on investments in our electric system. Let's ensure that those investments uh, are sound investments with respect to creating a more resilient grid uh, that can respond uh, to climate change. Professor Weisbach talked about the future of the energy grid and how he would like to see a transition take place. He said it takes innovation, legislation, and technology 
to make any shifts in energy infrastructure. To make changes to to the energy grid requires both legislation, it requires innovation and technology, and it, and you have to be able to be able to change people's attitudes about energy so that they understand, you know, the importance of making transitions. And so I think that, you know, that is a slow process typically to change people's attitudes and to, to enact legislation that's going to work with the technology that's available to be able to affect changes in, in the profile of our, of our power grid. It's a very difficult but necessary process that, that we have to go through. I think that process is going to, is going to be dictated potentially by, you know, external events. So if all of a sudden, you know, the earth were to heat up more than we expected, for example, and it starts impacting crops, then people might be more inclined to make changes that they might not have made before. So a lot is going to depend on just um, events that occur, you know, over time and how those events are impacting, you know, our day-to-day lives. And if there's a significant enough impact on our day-to-day lives, people will be more inclined to want to make changes, assuming that the technology is there to, to accomplish that. Tune in next week to hear more about Indiana's power grid, how it works, how it's outdated, and renewable alternatives the state could explore to transition into more sustainable forms of energy. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Up next, the reality of artificial intelligence on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Artificial intelligence, or AI for short, has been making a lot of news lately, and we've mentioned it before on this segment, but there's a lot of new news about AI and scams, most of which is very bad news indeed. You need to do some research. There's way too much important information out there to possibly fit in this short radio column. Go online and do a search for AI and cybersecurity or artificial intelligence and scams and look at some of the articles. Not just one or two. Read several. The first thing to understand about artificial intelligence is that it's developing much, much faster than other worrisome things, like climate change or politics or social problems. 
If airplanes had developed as fast as AI is, we would have had Boeing 747s only 10 years after the Wright brothers' first flight. That's because AI programs are writing better AI programs, which then write even better ones. And it's happening all over the world, 24 hours a day. AI can make a clumsy hacker with an old computer into a sophisticated genius because AI can now create voices and videos of individuals, including you and your friends and family members, that look and sound like real ones. It can analyze the behavior patterns of any individual or group because the fraudsters already have enough information for AI to quickly find a lot more. According to Deloitte, the worldwide cybersecurity firm, cybercrime harvested $3 trillion in 2015, $6 trillion in 2021, and by 2025 will steal over $10 trillion. Bucks. That's $10,000 billion, or if you prefer, $10 million million dollars every year. But the last thing out of Pandora's box was hope, and there is a little sunlight peeping through the clouds. Artificial intelligence can also be used to fight cybercrime, to block computer hackers, and to warn you when someone's trying to scam you. If you have a computer, a smartphone, or anything connected to the Internet, you need to have the latest software constantly updated. You need to have a good cybersecurity program, one of the ones that's already using AI, like ESET, Bitdefender, DeepArmor, and others, do the research and get it installed on your computer, phone, tablet, and your appliances and gadgets if you've got a so-called smart home. It's a race, and the bad guys are ahead. Today, a phone call or even a video from a friend or a family member, especially a child or grandchild, saying they're in trouble and need help is very probably a scam. Anytime you get a message you didn't expect and don't like, or a surprise benefit, you need to check it out before you do anything. Don't take my word for it. Go online and find out more. Do it today. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. 
Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for cool solutions, climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 